All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is the intro for episode 78. Jason Lingren is with me, and we are going to tackle a single man who had a huge impact on programming the United States of America and other countries on the tail of it. His name was Edward Bernays. Um, the roots of Edward Bernays, of course, are Sigmund Freud and back to Tavistock. Um, let's talk a minute about Tell Lies to Your Vision. Uh, movies, media. You can simply go back through time to demonstrate to your own mind what media is doing and has done to our country. There is a time back in the day you can go watch media, movies, TV, where they're pushing the idea that America is the greatest thing that ever happened on the face of this world. It is the most can-do nation. It is the home of the free and the brave. All these things to pump up America. Now go look at the media now. Um, it's the exact opposite. And now you're trying to be convinced that America is circling the drain. This is the power of media. Change the mindset, change the manner, change the culture, change reality. It's all about mind, baby. And if you can't get a hold of your mind and you let this external programming shape your thoughts and opinions, well, then you're just another chess piece on the chessboard for those who would push the pieces around. You're basically a pawn. The censorship is still going strong online on the tail of the modern 9-11 V event. Um, I'm still locked out of YouTube uh, coming up on two weeks here. We'll see what happens. Uh, some other people have uploaded other clips of mine that were not touched as far as I know, and they got strikes or they had their content removed. And I put out a call. I put out a call to anyone with a, you know, a substantial audience that wants to have me on to talk about the modern-day book burning and the censorship that is going on online um, to ping me, and I'll come on the show and I'll talk about it. I'm looking for an audience. I don't care if you believe in aliens. I don't care if you don't. I don't care what your religion is, creed, color, anything. It's time for people to come together here and stand up for what is correct. Um, as Jason and I jump into this episode, uh, let's tee it up like this. We're going to talk about a single man here. He is the double nephew of Sigmund Freud. His name is Edward Bernays. The overwhelming program, social programming that he was able to accomplish, a single man in this country, is mind-boggling, literally mind-boggling. Even being able to claim things like being responsible for getting women to begin smoking in a culture where they didn't, um, I, I'm not even gonna gonna you know lift the veil here. We'll just get into the episode and you'll see. But uh, you're also looking at the man Bernays, who created PR, public relations. Uh, there's scantly a corporation in this world now that does not either hire a PR firm or have PR on board as part of the corporation. And we will talk about this to let you know how it came to be. It's propaganda. It's what it is. Marketing is propaganda. Madison Avenue in New York created Christmas for anyone who wants to go look up the modern day idea of Santa Claus and all this other materialistic nonsense that we attribute with the low point of the sun or the winter solstice, uh, the idea of Christmas has nothing at all to do with religion. It was created by Madison Avenue. Anyone can look it up. These are the social engineers. These are the people who have shaped culture or what I call the lack of culture in the Western world. And you can look at a lot of places in the world where generations of families go back 
you know, as metal workers, as weavers, as any number of things and see true culture. In my view, what we have here is a bunch of people who have been affected by media. We like some TV shows. We watch some movies. For the most part, that has become the culture here. And what that has done is open the door to wholesale programming, social engineering on a level that has never been seen before as far as we know. Anyhow, this is a hell of an episode for any individual who wants to actually scrutinize what we're laying down here and understand that we're talking about a single man. There are whole organizations, Tavistock and all the people and writers and other royal families that were related to the efforts out of this one place. It doesn't even mention the Frankfurt School, for crying out loud. Before 1900, the Frankfurt School, all social engineers. We are in the brave new world now. We came through a big event again in this fall, and just the fact that it happened in fall should have clued in endless minds, but that's not the case. The spell was cast, the wool was pulled, but we just came through it, and on the tail of that, algorithms were rewritten by some of the biggest purveyors of information online to catch anyone saying the V word, Vegas. There it is, baby. I said it. Vegas, the V word. Um, What's that tell you? What does that tell you when someone rewrites the actual computer code driving things like Google and Facebook to catch any conversation talking about these things? Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason Lindgren and have a little Bernays sauce. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 78. I have Jason Lindgren with me, and we are going to be covering the fall of the human mind in three generations, and specifically, we're going to get into some Edward Bernays here. But to refresh some memories, um, let's take a trip down Crow 777 Radio memory lane. Um, In past episodes, we've done Tavistock and other things, and in my view, these are the roots of Bernays. After all, as Jason will point out during the course of this episode, Edward Bernays is the double nephew of of uh help me out here jason sigmund freud thanks man sigmund freud by the way i might as well welcome you while i'm doing all this welcome jason (laughs) hello okay so if we step back and we recap a little bit about tavistock and the kind of social programming that our world is subject to um, we should remember a few things polling is an example polling is a big part of the tv drone culture that in three generations has lowered the human mind Um, polling for places like abc nbc cnn fox new york times uh, wall street journal it's all coordinated by the national opinion research center now that may not seem like such a big deal to the average person which it actually is that means one place is dealing, you know, consolidating and determining what polls will say. But did you know that the National Opinion Research Center created a psychological profile for every nation on earth? There it is, man. Think about what that means. But while we're back in the uh, kind of pre-Bernays days, let's talk a minute about H.G. Wells. I will refresh everyone's memory by pointing out that Jason and I have tied so many of things from gray aliens to any number of things to the sci-fi writer H.G. Wells. But what people should keep in mind is H.G. Wells was head of the British Foreign Intelligence Service during World War One. He was a protege of T.H. Huxley. Huxley should ring a bell, right? Brave New World. Uh, that's a brother, I believe, of the Huxley that wrote it. And this Huxley guy, T.H., was a leading Darwinist. 
You see the fabrication, the fantasy coming to bear, but that's only the half of it. These guys were all related and backed by what's called the Black Gelfs. People would better know the Black Gelfs as the House of Windsor. Um, the families behind H.G. Wells and the Tavistock and all these are some of the most powerful empire builders known to our time. Uh, and I would also point out H.G. Wells is the grandfather or godfather of the, the, the Aquarian conspiracy. And that has to do with all the non-sex sense of, <laughs> there it is, the non-sex of sex, drugs, and music, which kind of destroyed the generations of the 60s. Um, but anyhow, Jason, I'll welcome you again, man. Welcome. Good to be here, and um, we want to take a moment to address the clip from 1978 with Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, yeah. Um, I kicked that over to you for the first time yesterday. Um, you want to roll into it, or you want me to? No, go ahead and explain it, because you introduced me to it. I'd never seen that before, and it was quite uh, quite enlightening, wasn't it? So this, this little clip we're going to talk about, uh, to me, reflects modern eyes. I think it was at 78, Jason, 79, something like that, the clip we're about yeah. to address. 78. So there's a variety show with Mary Tyler Moore heading the troupe uh, back in 1978. They're in New York City, and there's a group of people standing behind Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, one of the names people will recognize is David Letterman. I believe this is before the Letterman show, pretty sure, because David Letterman served 33 years on the David Letterman show. Also, the first Batman, Michael Keaton, is back there. They're all wearing football jerseys, and of course, 9 and 11 are stacked together. Mary Tyler Moore is doing a dance number, and she is singing the old Paul McCartney song with a little help and she keeps waving her arms in front of the 9-11 saying can't you hear the town exploding with a little push with a little luck we can make this whole damn thing work out well i kicked this over to jason uh to make a point yesterday because back in 78 none of us unless we were you know <laughs> esp specialists had a prayer of understanding what was being encapsulated in that clip but you see when you go back and look at that clip now with modern eyes it's an eye-opener. I mean, where are you at, Jason? What did you think when you viewed that? Yeah, it, it was really obvious. You kept seeing the 9 and 11 dancing in and out, coordinated around each other. And, of course, they would always end when in between the uh, the dance steps right next to each other. So the 9 and the 11 were always right there. Of course. And then there's 24 and 42 doing the mirror thing. I think you and I figured out it was either 23 or 24 years prior. I forgot which. Um, I have to sit down and use my toes and fingers to do the math on that. But, you know, what's really striking, of course, is that the first Batman is there in my mind, you know, the kind of Black Knight of Gotham City. But um, anything else you want to add? Is there a way we can point people to that easily? Let me look in our tool here. I think there's actually a title for the clip of this clip. On YouTube, it's Mary Tyler Moore Performance um, is the title, but you can look it up uh, and look at the clip, and you'll know you're there when everyone's wearing red. There's football jerseys, 9-11, David Letterman, and of course, the first Batman, Michael Keaton. Anyhow, anything else we want to cover before we jump in? Should we do? Uh, should we talk a little bit about the censorship that is still continuing? Yeah, I don't know if everyone has heard the shows you've been going on and all that, the censorship that's been going on, so why don't you give them a quick rundown on that? Well, I went on one person's show and did a live stream, um, and then the very next clip up, before it was even uploaded, he was tagged and struck. Uh, last clip up having been from me where we talked about the modern-day book burning, the V word, which I guess everyone knows what that means, the modern 
the modern day 9-11 event we just went through again. Um, and on top of that, I put out, I dropped the gauntlet and said, anyone with an audience and an interest who wants to have me on, I'd love to come talk about the censorship. Um, Richie from Boston was one of the first people who got to me. And I don't care who you are, where you are. If you've got an audience and you're interested in talking about this, um, I'm going. So thank you for, to Richie and thank you to a couple other people. WWF has got a hold of me. ODD TV has got a hold of me. So I will be doing these things. But during the Richie from Boston thing, um, that was flagged and it had never been uploaded anymore. So I guess it was just about my voice. Um, from what I understand, the clip was stripped down to completely black screen and audio um, and finally uploaded again to run. But the modern day book burning, the censorship that is corporation now, uh, the controllers of information systems is rampant. It's just out of control. And Jason and I are going to be on this for a long time. I mean, as it stands, I'm on week two of being locked out of uh, YouTube. And to top it off, the last clip we put up, which covered the V word and the modern day 9-11 crossover, um, that was never flagged, yet someone else downloaded it and uploaded it and then linked it to my Twitter. And of course it was flagged and it was cited as there is no bullying and this other nonsense. Not sure who's being bullied when you challenge mainstream media. I'm really not. As a matter of fact, I guess I am sure. You're not bullying anyone. Um, you're challenging uh, an information source called mainstream. And if we don't have a right to do that, let me tell you something, woe is us. Uh, to use bad vernacular. Anyhow, Jason, anything you'd like to jump in on here? Well, I, I think at this point I, I've come to the conclusion that the the V situation is a test to see just where people are at, sociologically speaking. How, what can they do and how people react? It seems almost like that's been used as a massive test bed to gauge, because obviously they know that a lot of people are waking up to things because of the Internet. And uh, I think that's what that might have been used for. Let, let's see where everyone's at and then use it as an excuse to crack down on, on those we don't want to have a voice. Right. And I won't be going to Vegas anytime soon to gamble. Oops, did I just say the V word? Hell's bells, Jason. We're certainly going to be flagged. Oh, uh, I don't think we're allowed to say that word, but I did say gamble. So maybe if I say Vegas and gambling or Vegas and casino or Vega, the star Vega, how about that? Can we say these things? Uh, we'll find out. They're flagging, they're rewriting algorithms, and it is a brave new world out there. Anyhow, Jason, we got a lot of Bernays to get through here. Do you want to cover anything else or should we jump into proper? Propaganda proper. Let's get Bernays. Let's get some Bernays sauce, man. All right. Chapter one, opening from the book Propaganda from 1928 by Edward Bernays. And remember, folks, this is from 1928. Should we count the ways real quick? Well, let's not. Go ahead. <laughs> the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, and our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires that control the public mind. Boy, that's a pretty brazen, proud statement. You know, you can't think of a much worse thing to say about humanity as a whole, about culture as a whole, about countries as a whole. And here it is just spouted out in such a kind of proud manner. And, you know, this whole Bernays thing, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about oligarchs. 
It's about oligarchs with a lot of power and money and good information from a hell of a long time ago trying to figure out how they can turn this place into the brave new world so they can continue to be oligarchs. As we get in, you're going to find that the one thing they don't want is an educated society. Why? Simple. An educated society will not tolerate their nonsense for long. So what's actually happened is the complete lowering of the human mind in three generations since the greatest generation, which would have been those people at World War II that were born before the advent of television. But anyhow, Jason, before I ramble too much, go ahead, man. So let's just lay down what the modern definition of propaganda is. It's information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. So that's a very powerful bullet point, because if you simply put it into context in our age where we live, you will understand that there is no information from any major mainstream information source coming at you that is not propaganda. So go ahead, man, read it one more time so people understand what propaganda is. There is no news. There is no mainstream information. There is no newspaper. There is no election. There is no nothing that does not fit into this neat little word Jason will again define for us. Propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. There it is, man. Um, we should all always keep this in mind. And the next time you see a poll on TV, you should shut it off because what that poll is doing is programming the drooling masses who have not yet figured out what their television is there for. Anyhow, back to you, man. All right, some background. Edward Lewis James Bernays. He lived from November 22nd, 1891 until March 9th, 1995. He was an Austrian-American pioneer in the field of public relations and propaganda. In his obituary, he was referred to as the father of public relations. He employed scientific methodology to achieve what he called the engineering of consent. This was the persuading of people through indirect means to believe or accept, accept something they didn't yet know was good for them or whatever it was his current employer desired. Edward Bernays was also the nephew of the famed psychologist Sigmund Freud on both his mother and father's side, and Bernays was always taking advantage of this fact whenever he could. He was born in Austria, but a year later, in 1892, the family moved to the United States, settling in New York City. There, he attended DeWitt High School. He went on to Cornell University, graduating in 1912 with a degree in agriculture. Not wanting to dirty his hands with farming, however, he decided to go into journalism. He wrote for the National Nurseryman Medical Journal at first, then he worked at the New York Produce Exchange, where his father was a grain exporter. Then going to Paris, which he absolutely loved, he found a boring and tedious job for Louis Dreyfus and Company reading grain cables. By December of that same year, of 1912, he returned to New York. Bumping into an old school friend, Bernays was offered to help run two journals with him, the Medical Review of Reviews and the Dietetic and Hygiene Gazette. They tried a new approach to promote the journals and their advertisers, distributing free copies to most of the 137,000 licensed physicians in the United States. 
Which, of course, of course, encodes 11. This is, you know, we always make a point to say history is a lie to greed upon. The main story of Bernays here, a man who lived till I think it was 1995, um, we can confirm these things. We know that he was involved in PR. This will go into Madison Avenue. This will be the roots of all modern advertising and marketing. Um, but what's more is this little story about his agriculture, which is, seems a bit fitting, you know, because basically what he's doing or what he will do uh, in his career is figure out how to take the United States of America and turn us all into vegetables, basically. He's going to come in on the tail of the advent of television, a higher-minded generation back in World War II. Again, people who were born before the advent of TV, and he's going to turn it all around, and he's going to leverage off the things Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung have done. These people are not your friends. You know, in our medical establishment, these guys are heroes. Basically, what they wanted to do was figure out a way to control masses of people, and they applied science to it, and they became very damn good at it. Bernays is going to leverage on all these things. Anyhow, Jason. The one thing I'd like to point out as we're going to start going into the, all the works he did is just how much I had to skip just to fit it into this program, because he did a lot of PR work, and he even coining the term public relations when propaganda started having a negative slant. So there's going to be a lot of stuff we go over, but there's a lot that I, I even just left out. So this guy was very important. Let's address the other thing we were talking about yesterday. Remember when I was talking about the Queen logo? Um, let's address that real quick, because so much of what you read from Bernays is written with like a pride. Like, yeah, man, we're screwing over everyone. Uh, we're programming minds. We're lowering human minds. We're destroying education. We're bringing to bear marketing techniques that will turn the United States into a cult of ninnies who worship people that shouldn't be famous because they've never done anything worth being famous for. All this is attributed to Bernays, and every time he talks about it, he talks about it with pride. Well, let me point something out. Let's use David Bowie as an example. David Bowie died at the age of 69, which is the sign for cancer in the Zodiac. Uh, cancer is at the height of the sun's power, the cult, the sun power, you know, the summer solstice. But I was mentioning to Jason that the band Queen, uh, Freddie Mercury, of course, Mercury, there's your alchemical crossover when Farouk, whatever the hell his name was, changed his name to Freddie Mercury. Uh, he supposedly was an illustrator who made that logo, and you'll see the phoenix on top, but there's a crab. Um, the reason that crab is there is for a couple reasons. It's symbolizing the sign of cancer and when the sun is at its highest, strongest point of the summer solstice. But did you know that there are crabs with blue blood? Get it? These people are very proud of their insidious history of overlording and manipulating and undermining. And uh, I just want to point that out. They're of a group that you are not in their minds, whether there's any physical or medical distinction at all, I cannot tell you. They think there is. But when you see that crab, do not be fooled. You're looking at a creature, many kinds of which have blue blood. And that is also symbolized right into the Zodiac when the sun is at the height of its power. We could go through to like King Louis the Fourteenth and do the whole Sun King thing. You understand what I'm getting at. Anyhow, as Jason reads through this, you will hear the kind of pride in Bernays's accounts of what he's done as you did in the opening when Jason talked about the things Bernays claimed. So there it is, man. So next, an interesting project came up shortly after he began working on the magazines. 
that was to generate interest in the public support for an American production of a French play called Damaged Goods, and it was about the perils of syphilis. At this time, Americans had some serious taboo regarding any discussions of venereal disease in the public. To tackle this project, Bernays engineered an educational campaign to fight prostitution. It was so successful, he even elicited endorsements for damaged goods from such major figures as John D. Rockefeller and Franklin D. Roosevelt. The whole affair was an astounding success, and Bernays would learn from the techniques employed here and utilize them in the rest of his life. So what we're looking at here is a earlier generation where open sex and how uh, males and females interacted had a lot more culture around it, and it wasn't such a free-for-all. Bernays is coming in, and this is one of the early forays in to begin to change the mindset. And just so people have a clue, a lot of what went on here in an overarching way is Bernays would do these campaigns, and then television shows would come out, which would show examples of the new thing Bernays or any number of people from Madison Avenue had come up with to show you a live example of a family on TV dealing with these issues, thereby diffusing the kind of taboo nature of them. This is going to go on and on, and I assume, Jason, you'll get into smoking at some point. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Now, continuing work regarding plays and Broadway and actors and all that sort of thing, he further enhanced his capability to generate interest in something by tying it in with worthwhile activities, such as charities, and making sure that multiple newspapers publish stories about the activities. Therefore, what he figured out early on was that if you want a certain thing to get attention, you tie it in to other things that will get mass publication. Right. And in some ways, it's almost like doing these altruistic things for charities and other things, although we have also covered what charities have become in the modern age. Um, So with the right hand, you're making yourself look like Florence Nightingale. And with the left hand, you're basically Beelzebub. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead. man. Now, in 1913, Bernays visited his famous uncle Sigmund Freud in Vienna for a few months. Returning from his visit to New York in the fall of 1913, he was more taken than ever with the Viennese doctor's novel theories on how the unconscious drives dating to childhood and makes people act the way they do. And Bernays was convinced that understanding the instincts and symbols that motivate an individual could help him shape the behavior of the masses. So this is the whole archetype thing that people like Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung brought us, and they are real, and they have been used against us for a long time. I used this example just a short time ago. Go back and look at the original Hawaii Five-0. The lead character, Jack Lord, plays McGarrett. Look at him in that show, and he will appear to you as an adult. Now go find his counterpart on modern TV. This is what we're talking about. They're going in, and they're figuring out the psyche of people so that they can be manipulated, and it is so insidious that on many levels it's done with your subconscious or in ways or parts of your mind that you're not really even aware of. But the end result of what has come to be of these efforts is the lowering and the infantilization, if that's a word which it's not, of the human mind over a short three generations. Anyhow, back to you, Jason. So for the next few years, Bernays hones his craft with several celebrities of the time, helping to make them into superstars that the public adored. And that's exactly what it was. He found ways of, depending upon whomever it was he was working for, of just getting them out there in the limelight in a way that was just never heard of before. So he figured out how to make the first early megastars. 
Right. The cult of personality. And, you know, in in a lot of the Tavistock reading I did in other places, there's a distinction made here, which I think is pretty critically important. Apparently, there was a time in history before movies, before all these things, when someone was going to be famous, it took a period of time because for a person to be famous, they had to do great achievements, whatever those great achievements might be. And that was typically where most fame stemmed from. Um, what's happening here is now Bernays is creating the cult of personality. It's a bit like the Kardashians, right? Famous for no reason other than they're just constantly in your face and you see them all the time. That's why they're famous. They're not great people. They're not intelligent people. They're not special people. They've never really done anything in this world that would merit fame. And yet here we have them as among the most famous people. I think uh, Paris Hilton thought fit that mold at one point. So this bullet point is critically important in my view, because what we see is Bernays changing the very nature of what fame is. Um, he's turning people into superstars when it's all a construct. It's just an imaginary cult of personality. There's not Nothing to back it, man. It's a it's a it's a house of cards. Exactly. And he figured out how to do this in the 1910s. Now, on April 6th, 1917, the United States declared war on Germany, entering World War One, also known as the Great War or the War to End All Wars. And of course, it was anything but many Americans held a strong neutral stance and didn't want anything to do with European wars. Edward Bernays also tried to enlist on the same day, but was told twice over that he had flat feet and defective vision. He was turned down for active duty. He wanted to prove that he was a true American who was capable of defending his country. After so much success getting his own way promoting others, he now used that experience to try something on his own behalf. He wrote to the Red Cross in France asking for any position for which you believe my qualifications and past experience fit me. He wrote to the Commission on Military Training, offering to get musicians to perform at army camps. He even helped out at his local draft board, organizing its statistical and clerical functions. While none of these efforts produced results, he finally had some success when he got himself an interview with Ernest Poole, who was head of the Foreign Press Bureau of the U.S. Committee on Public Information, which was known as the CPI. So here we go, man. You know, flat feet, my butt. Uh, what he had was backing from the most powerful families in the world. And you can see what's going on here. Jason and I have covered the Red Cross. We all know what the Red Cross is. That's who he's going after. And then he goes to the Commission on Military Training, trying to get Hollywood or, you know, entertainment into the military um, for the troops. You can see what is going on here at a very early level. But I would point out, um, back in the Tavistock episodes, we were demonstrating that in Great Britain um, during World War One, there were actual real polls done before the way modern polling is done, where they asked any number of the working class Brits who were going to actually go into World War One, if there's any truth to the number of people that went there, which I think we could probably argue, but they had no idea what the fight was even about other than someone was threatening their king and this kind of thing. This has a direct reference to the mind warp that Bernays is going to bring to uh, to this world and specifically to America, um, the United States. And I think, it, Jason, at one point, are you going to cover the whole do it in your face on the David Letterman show thing? Yeah, towards the end. Yep. Okay, so we'll cover that. But, you know, Bernays is such a proud pig of the the damage that he's causing that he actually goes on Letterman, which we'll cover at the end, and he does it right in your face and uh, makes Dave Letterman the fool. Anyhow, back over to you. 
On April 13, 1917, through Executive Order 2594, President Woodrow Wilson established the Committee on Public Information. Journalist George Creel was the chairman, and he had urged Wilson to create a government agency to coordinate not propaganda as the Germans define it, but propaganda in the true sense of the word, meaning the propagation of faith. Yeah, man. Um, I'm going to let you keep pushing, but I would point out that Order 2594 needs its ways counted. Um, anyhow, let's keep pushing. Finally, having a chance to serve his country, Bernays recruited Ford, International Harvester, and numerous other American firms to distribute literature on U.S. war aims to foreign contacts and post U.S. propaganda in the windows of 650 American offices overseas. He distributed postcards to Italian soldiers at the front so they could boost morale at home, and he planted propaganda behind the German lines to sow dissent. He organized rallies at Carnegie Hall, featuring freedom fighters from Poland, Czechoslovakia, and other states that were anxious to break free of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And to counter German propaganda, he had American propaganda printed in Spanish and Portuguese and inserted into export journals sent across Latin America. To put it succinctly, he used his expertise to win America over to a rather unpopular war using precisely the same techniques he had used in successfully promoting within the entertainment industry. Bernays called his work psychological warfare. And there it is, man. Entertainment industry, propaganda, um, going to other nations, propagandizing Americans. So let's ask the question here, Jason. So many people come in talking about the Schmidt-Munt Act having, be having been amended or rewritten in 2012 and claiming from that point forward it had become legal to propagandize Americans. Well, here we are in World War One, folks. Um, I would suggest to you that as long as we have had elite families, we have had propaganda. And it matters not whether there was an act, a law, or a statute of any kind, this has been going on. And what do we see here? Carnegie. Um, you know, the same old names that we always see. I won't even go down the list. But uh, for me, one of the main things we see happening in early Bernays is the entertainment, the going in and the holding of your mind group being pulled in to the military-industrial complex. And here, of course, he coins the word psychological warfare. Um, it's a hell of a thing, Jason, when you begin to actually pay attention and uh, and look at what's being represented freely, I might add, by these people. Oh, yeah. When you think about the context of what was going on in society compared to what he had already figured out at the time, it's, it's kind of astounding. You don't think about this level of manipulation going on in Edwardian times, and, and here it was. He had it all figured out in 1917. Yeah, it's beyond the pale. And, you know, uh, in the past research we have done, I really started to mark the, the the woeful date of when Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung came to be. These were the guys that really began to hack the human mind, um, but not just the human mind, but more on a group level where they began to demonstrate to a 90-something percent certainty that if we do certain things to certain groups of people, this is the outcome we can expect. And here we have the double nephew of Freud um, picking up the uh, gauntlet that Freud threw down. And where is he, man? He's in entertainment. He's in the military-industrial complex. And he's out there coining useful ideas and words like psychological warfare. Where would our world be without terms and ideas like psychological warfare? I mean, I don't know, man. Um, what do you think, Jason? It's almost like there is no portion of this man's life that wasn't predestined to insert him where he needed to be. Yeah, once he showed that he had the capability of doing this, I would say they, they used him 
right from the get-go because he was only in his early 20s when this was going on. So think about that. That they, It's kind of like what they do with Road Scholars and all that. They find these people and they find their, their talents and capabilities and all that, and then they groom them all the way up until, you know, you get people like Bill Clinton who's still being a pain in the ass all the way into, uh, how old is he now? I don't know, 70s? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, 170, who the hell knows how old these people are. Um, they got all the technology, they got all the goods, and they you know, they do weird things like name the Zodiac after crabs who have blue blood, which carries the moniker which, re- which represents their eliteness. It is very damn difficult. I've maintained for a long time that, in my view, these kind of special royal-based bloodlines live longer than me do than we do, but proving it is a whole other thing, and I don't know how to go about that. But I'll tell you what, you know, look at Queen Elizabeth now. They're, they're plastering our televisions with something about the queen at age 90. Does she look like any other 90-year-old person you've ever seen? I'm just asking. <laughs> Anyhow. She's awfully spry for someone in that at that age, but, uh, you know. Crikey, man, I got more wrinkles than she does. <laughs> So Bernays was, of course, quite successful while being involved with the CPI, and Ernest Poole was later to have said of Bernays that he was one of the ablest and most devoted younger workers on our staff. In 1918, there was question about Bernays being drafted for a military clerkship. CPI Chairman George Creel drafted a letter saying, As you know, our policy is not to interfere with military service in any degree, But it is most certainly the case that Mr. Bernays' present position is far more important to the government than any clerkship that he might fill. (laughs) And there he is. He's dropping the key word. Uh, We don't interfere with the military service in any degree, not the third degree or the 33rd degree or any degree at all. But, um, you know, (laughs) come on. This this is all nonsense. Not only that's happening in 1918, let's not waste too much time counting ways here. My point is, it's pretty clear what's going on. Um, This is all interconnected at this point. And, you know, we're basically in World War I here, 1918. And we can already begin to show the complicity of entertainment into military and this kind of secret royal elite, whatever the hell you want to call them, basically drafting letters to the military saying, we don't want to mess with you in any degree, but we're keeping our boy because uh, he's useful where he's at. And that's what happened. Um, there it is, man. It's a tangled web. Next, post-World War I, when it came to his role at the Paris Peace Conference, where he was part of a 16-person CPI press team, things didn't actually go as planned. Before the team set sail, Bernays put out a press release announcing the mission. The New York World ran a story saying the announced object of the expedition is to interpret the work of the Peace Conference by keeping up a worldwide propaganda to disseminate American accomplishments and ideals. The scandal arose from Bernays' use of the word propaganda in the press release. Apparently that just didn't go over very well. So, you know, here's here's something that people can kind of reflect on and know it to be true. So right now, the propaganda is pumping up America. America's going to be great. America's going to be strong. How many of us remember that supposedly Napoleon Bonaparte, having done the Louisiana Purchase, made some comment where, there, now there's going to be a a country that can stand up to the maritime power of Britain and it's going to humble them. You see, there's this whole push. America's great. America's great. America's going to be great. And we get, you know, into the seventies and other places and we are, but you're going to watch this very same propaganda machine 
turn America on its head. And basically, maybe it starts around Vietnam, where for the first time, America fails at a perceived war, even though it wasn't a war, they basically lose. And from that point on, we go into the hippie era, era uh, a whole generation gets drugged out, and the whole greatness and sense of what America had become starts to erode to the point where everything we make here is then dismantled and shipped off somewhere else. And this is all, all of it on the back of what people like Bernays are doing. Propaganda, television, entertainment, marketing, all of it, hand in hand. And here we are, man. It's a long time ago, the Paris Peace Conference. So, I mean, this th- these guys are playing the damn long game. Uh, it's it's a bit astounding, Jason, to, to look at what we know is true and then compare it to what we're being told here. Absolutely. Now, the work that we've done reviewing through uh like what all the things dave mcgowan unearthed and everything regarding laurel canyon that stuff probably wouldn't have gone over quite as well if the techniques that bernays put into place decades earlier hadn't been as successful as they had been well i mean you pointed it out in your bullet point about syphilis you know known as the french disease at the time uh in this country the idea probably being oh those promiscuous french even the kiss that involves a tongue being named after the french in this part of the world i'm not sure what the french call it my point is this there was a whole other morality going on in the greatest generation or the generation of world war ii um and even in your syphilis bullet point what you see is the slow erosion getting ready to get us to the 60s where it's free love and if you can't be with the one you love honey love the one you're with and by the way here's a birth control pill all of it relatable to tavistock all of it within the bernays sphere of influence from my point of view and you have a bunch of rock stars and actors and all that sort of thing setting the example that uh, that they want to push well, as we've said so many times, these are not people that just had talent and got recognized. You got people like Freddie Mercury. Mercury, wake up, putting crabs in his logo. Uh, these people like Bowie dying, uh, you know, at 69 in the sign of come on, Prince, tribute to the Queen. This is all interrelated. I don't even know what to call it. Tactical maneuvers maybe is a better thing to put it. These people were put in place to do the objectives that Bernays is doing here. It's just that, unfortunately, all of us are going to idolize the people who are burning us down. That's basically what it comes down to, in my view. But that's an interesting way of putting it. You're gonna, you're, they're going to tell you how they're going to destroy you, but you're going to love it the entire way. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, even just like a band like The Who, um, you know, at Woodstock, any band that was at Woodstock, you better understand that they may as well have had the last name Bernays or H.G. Wells or openly wore a sign saying, I'm a member of the Gelf family, you know, House of Windsor or any number of other royal um, incentivized families who are out to do what they're going to do. And again, to echo, it's basically oligarchs figuring out that now that we're not in feudal, feudal times, how are we going to control all these worthless people and uh, be able to continue to be oligarchs? That's basically what this is about, you know, lock, stock, and barrel. And these entertainers, um, go back and listen to Who songs. Listen to the album Tommy. You know, my name is Tommy. I became aware this year. I even quoted it on one of my thumbnails. Put in your earplugs. Put on your eye shades. You know where to put the cork. They're pre-echoing and encoding so much of what's going on. And I would ask you, is Pete Townsend such a brilliant man that at age 20, whatever the hell he was, he was inserting this into his music or is something else going on here? And for 
my money something else is going on here and it's evidenced in simple ways like the first time we ever heard the words purple rain was 40 some years before prince's death in america song called ventura highway where that verse is basically pre-echoing 40 some years earlier the coming death of prince who's actually had a uh, an alias named Joey. He's being referenced as the falling star. And, uh, you know, the guy who wrote those lyrics of America, the band America, all those years ago was asked, why did you use the words Purple Rain here? And he says, well, it beats me, man. That's what he tells everyone. There's complicity in all this when we take it apart brick by brick by brick. And um, the main thing I would add on that very lengthy response is you need to be careful who you idolize. Because these people that we are idolizing are helping to burn down this house. There is no separating the censorship on Google from your favorite band. And that is just a truth, whether you like it or not. Absolutely. As a press officer for Woodrow Wilson at the peace conferences in Europe following World War I, one job he had was to present President Wilson in the most favorable light possible in order to boost his popularity with the American public. By this time, the word propaganda was already gaining a sinister implication in the West due to its association with communism, and Bernays coined the term public relations as a positive alternative. Coming up with catchy terms and catchphrases was one of his big areas of expertise. Yeah, here it comes, man. You finally uttered what he's famous for, which is public relations. I would ask, is there any major corporation out there that is not running a public relations office? Um, And also you drop another thing here, the idea of communism. These things were all constructs, all of it. And all of us headless sheep bought into it. Um, You know, communism had some basic principle, as we were told by Marxism or or any of number of things we could look at, that everyone needed to be treated equally. Someone couldn't have it all and someone else couldn't have anything. And then that idea was taken to extremes and demonized in the West. The converse side of that was all our spending and capitalism on this side was echoed the opposite way over in that part of the world where those damn capitalists are materialistic and out of control. And meanwhile, the communists were godless. And meanwhile, the capital, I mean, it goes on and on and on. These are constructs. These are all constructs that are brought to us by people like Bernays through methods like public relations. And what happens is um, you buy into these things and then we all get subjugated, basically divided up in neat little groups. Those guys are communists. Those guys are capitalists. Over on the capitalist side, we have religion breakdowns where these guys are Catholic. These guys are Christian. These dudes are Hindu. These dudes are Muslim. And you get segmented again. And then they introduce the uh, what's the word, Jason, when you have things you don't like, Um, you know, uh, you know, things that are programmed into you that you don't like about society or people or other things. I'm drawing a blank here. Let's just call it a stereotype for now, because that's going to come into this. The word stereotype is actually coined by Bernays, but these ideas are inserted into your mind and then they're played off. All these stereotypes, like even a good stereotype is Republican and Democrat. These were inserted into your mind. These are made up things. They have no basis in reality. And yet many people in this country consider themselves to be one or the other. Then that stereotype is then played on by public relations type Bernays programming. And that, in fact, is a big part of how society is just herded along like a pack of sheep. But anyhow, Jason kind of lost the thread there. Well, they find a box to put you in and then they they feed that box over and over and over so that they get people to believe. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But they get people to believe in, in whatever construct that they think will fit you. And then 
you're doing the work for them by not being willing and open to go outside that box. So, uh, you know, they win. (laughs) That's right. And prejudice was the word I'm looking for. Um, I read the studies that show how prejudice is inserted into mass groups of people. Then these prejudices that have been made up and inserted into the minds of mass groups of people are used for public conformity. And that's where polls come in. You see, when a poll is done, it's made up out of thin air by one place, which is pushing an agenda. That's what every poll you will ever see through mainstream is done. I named the place in the beginning, and I pointed out that they have a psychological profile on every nation on Earth. Not even kidding there. But the way it works is some drooling person gets in front of their TV to drool, and they see a poll. Well, you see, what that poll implies is that the majority of Americans think this. So what happens is these prejudices that have been formed in advance of this particular poll allow the person sitting there, even even if they don't even if they disagree with the majority of the poll will never stand up against it and this brings us back to ego and being afraid to go against the herd mentality this is all attributable to people like Bernays. And, you know, for for people who have listened to us long enough, you should be getting a pretty damn vivid picture of how the manipulation works. Um, anyhow, Jason. Bernays later described a realization that his work for the CPI could be also used in peacetime. There was one basic lesson I learned in the CPI, that that effort comparable to those applied by the CPI to affect the attitudes of the enemy, of neutrals and people of this country, could be applied with equal facility to peacetime pursuits. In other words, what could be done for a nation at war could be done for organizations and people in a nation at peace. With this notion in mind, he opened his own public relations office in 1919 with journalist Doris Fleischmann, whom he would later marry in 1922. This business was the world's first council on public relations, and he promised to actively shape public opinion in the interest of his clients. And boy, did he. Oh, my God, man. Here we are, man. Let's count the ways. 1919. I'm not even going to say it. Everybody knows what I'm thinking. Uh, The long game here is incredible um, encoded. But think about what's being said. It can be applied equally well, this programming, this new idea of PR, which will creep into every modern day corporation. It can be applied to organizations and people in a nation at peace. So let's break down what's being said here. So we can propagandize and manipulate all these people when we're at wartime. But when peace comes, we can take all these wartime efforts and apply them to the people. In other words, we can wage war on the common man just trying to live a life, and we've got the tools to pull it off. But anyhow, there is no walking away from the dates that are always cited here. 1919 is when this kicks off. We're looking at the long game here, folks. Um, There it is. One of the first clients that they had was the U.S. War Department who wanted to persuade businesses to hire returning war veterans. Another early event occurred when they staged a lobbying campaign for Lithuanian independence and, together with fellow PR man Carl Boyer, helped persuade the U.S. Congress to recognize the Lithuanian state. So here it is now, um, you know, the shedding of the veil of government. Now PR is basically up there getting Congress to do what it wants. In other words, Congress is no different than any other group of Americans in this world that you want to propagandize program and steer towards an eventual outcome, whether complicit or not. Here you have the U.S. Congress being swayed. In 1920, Bernays successfully hosted the first NAACP convention in Atlanta, Georgia. 
His campaign was considered successful because there is no violence perpetrated at the convention. His campaign focused on the important contributions of African Americans to whites living in the South. He would later receive an award from the NAACP for this contribution. This is a sad thing, man. You know, here we have the NAACP uh, being directly infiltrated, is a good word for it, by Bernays. You know, this is going to shape uh, so many Americans' prejudices whether they're black or white or anything else on the perceived race problem in this country. And here we're starting to see in 1920 why there's ever a race problem, because people like Bernays inserted the idea in the minds of people. That's why we had a race problem. Um, I would venture to say that if we didn't have jackasses like Bernays and these other elite kind of pigs manipulating and pushing and steering and shaping and underhandedly programming everything, I would guess that all of us as groups of people would be a hell of a lot better off and probably view one another as just fellow human beings. That's my guess. But here it is, man, 1920, and there's Bernays getting his filthy little hands into the double A, double A, NAACP, and this is going to directly affect how people view race in this country till now, till the modern age, basically. Next, we're getting into the early 1920s, and Bernays arranged for the U.S. publication of an English-language translation of Uncle Sigmund Freud's General Introduction to Psychoanalysis. In addition to publicizing Freud's ideas, Bernays used his association and family relationship with Freud to establish his own reputation as a thinker and a theorist, a reputation that was further enhanced when Bernays began releasing books of his own. The first one that he releases is Crystallizing Public Opinion, in 1923. God, Jason, it's a scary world we live in. You know, we're all the way back here in 23. One of the things that strikes me about this bullet point that you just covered is so here's Bernays getting his uncle Freud's uh, work translated, which means he's been interacting with this man, which means that his first language is not English. That's probably what it means here. And when you begin to dissect that, you begin to understand, you know, so many people ask questions like, well, why would they want to damage America? Why don't they love this place? Well, here's here it is, case in point, because the world is their oyster. Every country in this world is just like a chess piece to them. They'll bring it up. They'll knock it down. They'll burn it. They'll regrow it. They'll reshape it. They'll do all these things completely free of the constructs of the people who grew up here who feel a sentimental attachment. You know, here's Bernays. Um, this is not his country. He's something else. He's Austrian, whatever it was that Jason put out. And clearly, English is not his first language, regardless of what the histories say, because he's already been interacting in the timeline with Freud, which means he must have been speaking the language that he's now translating his uncle's work into. And I make this point to just show there are people here who show no allegiance to any general nation of the world, as far as I can tell. It's all just chess pieces on a board for mass manipulation in an effort to figure out how these kind of black Venetian, Guelf, oligarchical families can continue to hold their one-sided, lopsided power into the modern age. Um, so, so there it is. Anyhow. Another client going into the 1920s was Venita, a manufacturer of hairnets. At that time, shorter hairstyles were becoming the fashion among younger women. This, of course, would be the age of the flapper girl. This development was, of course, concerning to Vanita hairnets, who saw the market for their product disappearing along with the longer tresses. Bernays was called upon for his advice. 
Soon, prominent women were publicly expressing their preference for long hair over short, and assorted authorities were warning of the dangers of unbound hair in factories and restaurants. Now, he didn't really win that one in the sense that、uh, the, the short bob became a very prominent hairstyle in the 1920s, but in response, he still accomplished that a number of state governments passed legislation requiring the wearing of hairnets on the job. Right, and it starts to show just kind of how passe so much of that we're talking about hairnets. You know, now they're even programming for hairnets.、Um, and I would point out in the 20s, and we are getting into the flapper thing,、uh, that whole thing is going to relate to whether or not alcohol is legal later. And it's going to be maybe one of the earliest Western direct attacks on morals,、uh, the mores between men and women in the 20s, the whole idea of flappers. And then, of course, on the tail of that, we're going to get into alcohol is not illegal anymore. But I'm pointing out from these high level attack the morals of a country, attack things like、um, alcohol. Hall and use that to manipulate society. Look what we're talking about here. We're talking about hairnets. I mean, there's really no portion of our existence that has not been, you know, manipulated in one way, shape, or form. It's, it's kind of astounding, is it not, Jason? Yeah, and I always thought it was interesting, even long before I looked at this material, that the flapper girl concept was the first real sexual revolution, and then somehow it got stomped out, and we got this stark conservatism back in, you know, sexual taboos and all that, and that didn't resurface again until the 1960s. You know, that's a good point, Jason. I've looked at that myself a few times, and it almost appears that there is a possibility that there were still people in powerful positions or that had sway or that there were enough high minds around that they stood against the idea of eroding the moral turpitude、uh, of what American culture was. And for some reason, it's as you say, they went in, they began to take apart the idea of what sex is between a man and a woman, the idea of marriage.、Uh, Interaction in a sexual way between the genders,、um, and then it does get stamped out. But maybe it's the early four in. It's hard to know what actually happened, but that's an astute observation. It, in my view, is truly the first kind of sexual、um, shift in the American moral perception. Yeah, the idea behind the Flapper Girls was they were rejecting the, the Victorian and early Edwardian notions of sex being a taboo, to put it you know, in, in its own little package. But It didn't last. You, you know, once the Great Depression hits in, all of that gets wiped out. And it, it's almost like the people in charge didn't like what was going on. And therefore, they decided it, the time wasn't right, perhaps, or whatever it was. But you see that getting stomped out. And you literally don't see anything about sexual promiscuity coming about again until the hippie era. Right. And what's crazy about that is in the research we've done in the past, we can show openly that the Tavistock Institute is directly involved with the creation of the birth control pill and the dissemination of the birth control into a culture they created, which is basically telling you if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're, you know, the free love generation. And then on top of it, they're inserting、uh, issues to create trouble、um, and destabilize things like Jimi Hendrix. Hey, Joe, where are you going with that guy? In your hand. Well, I'm going down to shoot my old lady because I caught her sleeping with another man. Well, wait a minute. She's probably sleeping with another man because she just listened to the birds, love the one you're with. You know, you can see the overarching grand manipulation. And for my money, Jason, we should probably be looking up what the name Vanita means if we can get an etymology on it, because almost certainly、um, this story is inserted to demonstrate that even the stupid hairnet owners had a, a stake in this game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And who knows who was paying whom behind the scenes? 
Yeah, and if you think about it, if hairnets were that big a business, um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that the manipulation of this flapper idea was going to come in. It didn't last that long, and then hairnets are back on top. Um, if I had to guess, I would say whoever the owners of Vanita hairnets were were part and parcel of the game at hand. Yeah, because the 1930s almost was like the Edwardian area again, uh, you know, with the, with the look of everything. And, of course, people couldn't... Uh, afford to live the lifestyle that they did in the 1920s because of the depression so it literally was a complete reversal it's a good point and it's almost like you could picture two old crotchety black gelf family members sipping their sherry saying okay i'll bet you 50 cents or two bits um that we can make society in america promiscuous for eight years and then flip it all the way back to the dresses to the ground the following or you could also view it maybe in a way where it's simply test runs demonstrating all this new programmability that is being brought to bear now uh picking up somewhere around world war one maybe earlier hard to know the frankfurt school precedes 1900 um but maybe it's nothing more than just demonstrating we can push these pieces on the chessboard anywhere you want and that's a scary thing because what it basically informs the person listening to this show now is the culture you have was basically programmed into you that's what it means you know this place we love called america or the united states however you choose to view it um the why is it that each decade has its own kind of distinction well this is why you know why doesn't each succeeding decade or whatever a natural division of time would be have its own unique thing we never saw before. Well, this is why. This programming that we're addressing is why. We know for certain that 30 years after the 60s, all that fashion will come back. All that music will come back. This is the programming. They're looping it back in to limit variety. But anyhow, I'm kind of sidetracking here, Jason. And the the interesting thing about the 1920s would be that it might have been a natural progression because the Federal Reserve was put in in 1913. So the 1920s was pretty much the end of the original prosperity of the United States before the insane amount of damage that the Federal Reserve will do from then until now had completely set in. Yeah, it's I mean, it's so all overarching that when we set out to do these shows, it's just a difficult thing, Jason. You know, we pick out Bernays to show a critical part of how we got to be where we are now, where we're basically standing up against the the right to, to speak and think freely against places like YouTube. These are the guys who brought us this, but the picture is so much more in-depth, larger. The game times go back hundreds of years, probably. Um, but it's always the same players, isn't it, Jason? Um, you know, in, in my mind, if I was going to symbolize the players moving forward, it would be the crab, you know? And, and all these people always come in and ask, you know, about the weaving spider coming out here. Well, if you think about it, the spider has a direct relationship to the crab. Um, you could liken crabs to score Scorpions. scorpions are arachnids, and while there is an eight-legged spider and a ten-limbed, you know, crab, the the idea is there. So probably what we're looking at is these groups who are basically just oligarchical, richer than anything that we've ever known on this earth, manipulating and lowering a world's consciousness simply for the main reason that they continue to be oligarchs and own and control everything. I don't see any other reason. Do you? No, and it's obvious that the turn of the 20th century is when they completely put their foot down on everything to have control that, you know, we're only just starting to resist against today. 
Yeah, and you know, you see these stupid mainstream conspiracy people like Alex, whatever the hell you want to call him, Jones, putting out these graphics like, you think you're getting mainstream news, and he lists all these information outlets and then claims they're owned by six corporations. Well, you and I went a step further and actually showed how it's basically down to the big two corporations, but the truth is, is the board members on those two are in all the same Club of Rome, you know, the CFR, all the overarching board members are in the same group. So basically what it comes down to is nearly everything in this world that is a service, a corporation that matters, a Walmart, a record company, a television station are all being controlled by a single group of people who all are members of the same oligarchical groups. And that's all there is to it. I mean, there's that's the truth in, in what we're covering here. It sure is. Now, since we're at the top of the hour, just to give everyone a bit of a hint of what we're going to be getting into in hour two, we're going to see the things that Bernays got really known for, some major, major uh, promotions and things that really put his name on the concept of advertisement, public relations, and propaganda. You know, it's episodes like this that I really kind of hope people will listen to what we're covering, and then blow it out into the modern day. We just came through a hell of an event. We refer to it as the V word. Why? Well, because of the roots of Bernays. Now we have a corporation called Google censoring our free speech, hiding behind the shield of corporation, which incidentally has a public relations department brought to us by Bernays, of course. So here we are, people. You have to recognize the events that are going to try to tackle your mind and pull it away from you. 9-11 was one of these events. The event we just came through was one of these events. When you begin to recognize them, you begin to break the spell. That is the whole purpose and point of what Jason and I are trying to accomplish here. So when, as we go through these shows, I would just urge everyone, this is the acceptable kind of history of these people, yet Jason and I can confirm that so much of it is in fact true. Madison Avenue creating marketing, all these things, Bernays being there, we know these things are accurate. Whether or not the dates and the historical accounts are or not does not matter. Point being, reflect on the modern age. There is no portion of the lives we lead in this country anymore that is not programmed with intent. And that intent is to lower your mind into infantile levels that are so far from those possessed by the greatest generation or your grandparents or great-grandparents who were born before the advent of television. Three generations has done this to us. It's time to wake up. It's time to lift the mind. It's time to understand what people like Bernays and Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung and H.G. Wells and the Black Gelfs and the Black Venetians and the House of Windsor and the Vatican, all these people were complicit in one single game. How do we maintain control and own everything? The day we all wake up and quit accepting the programming is the day they begin to lose ground. I don't know what day that will be. Anything you want to add before we close up for the first hour here, Jason? I just want to remind everyone that this first free hour is going to be on my Secrets of Saturn channel, but definitely not on your Crow Triple Seven YouTube channel until we figure out which way that's going to go. So this will still be on offer, of course, but, you know, not where it belongs.
Right. So I wanted to offer a big thank you to all the people who have come and subscribed at Crow 777 Radio to support the freedom of speech that that website is. It will stand as a bastion of freedom of speech, regardless of what happens on YouTube. I'm in week two, still locked out of my YouTube channel, which means the nearly 80,000 subs that I would have had to put this content out to, I do not have. The first free hour will run at Secrets of Saturn, but as always, on Crow777Radio.com, all the free content is running. You don't got to sign up. You just go there and you play it. It is there for everyone. For all those who want to support the efforts we're doing in this time of censorship, it is much appreciated. Without an audience, it becomes difficult to do this, but thankfully, we are building an audience. So there it is, man. That brings episode 78, first hour to a close. Uh, if I had to guess, we're going to have more than a second hour. We have so much to cover, and I hope you will all join me as members over at Crow777Radio.com. The time is now. We stand. We are counted or we're going to fall to the plans that people like Bernays made so many years ago when we should have been counting the ways of the date that all this began. There it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>